just want to read uh, first from Genesis 4, verses 23-24. When Cain, after he'd murdered his brother Abel, there was, uh, God told him that if anybody tried to kill him, that 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 person would be avenged seven times over. And then along a few generations later, there came a guy named Lamech. And uh, he said this. Lamech said to his wives, Listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech is 77 times. Now, if you uh, switch over to uh, a story or a time where Jesus was uh, talking to his disciples, uh, it was when Peter asked him a question. And, and the, here's the question that Peter asked. He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So Lamech's kind of revenge meant returning 77 blows for everyone received. And Jesus turns Lamech's logic on its head. And he tells his followers not only to forgo vengeance or revenge, but to forgive as many times as Lamech sought to revenge himself. Last week we shared about how Jesus desires us to forgive as he forgave us. Jesus' words from the cross were, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Most of the time we would rather pray, Father, forgive them not for they know exactly what they did. That's what we want to pray. Our sense of justice really makes us feel like the perpetrator deserves unforgiveness. If perpetrators were sorry or repented, maybe forgiveness would come more easily from us. But too often, they're not. And so both the victim and the perpetrator are imprisoned. And we talked about that last week with the chain and that symbol of sin and just that we're connected and when there's that debt that is owed to us. Even though we may have not done anything wrong, we may be the victim, there's that chain of sin that connects us when there's unforgiveness. So there's this weird uh, connection between uh, the perpetrator and the victim. And oftentimes when there's no forgiveness, there's this strange mutual hate and and a communion of hate, which is very strange. Yet Jesus... He did something very different. He took a preemptive strike. And when he forgave those who were not yet repentant, not the least bit sorry that they were driving nails into his hands, scourging his back, or putting a crown of thorns on his head. And what many of us said last week is when we cut that link of chain was that we too want to forgive like Christ forgave us. We want to step with Jesus taking the preemptive strike to forgive saying that, the, that uh, the debt that's owed to us, it's finished. It's done. It's paid for already by Christ. We let go of all claims of justice and revenge. We said by cutting these links that we desire to be free from our own debts and free from our debtors. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. In John 8.36, he says, Jesus said this, If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Christ's forgiveness is good and deep. We said that we wanted to step toward all this forgiveness that brings freedom. But how do we do that? How do we take some practical steps? Sometimes it comes out in actions like Sue did with her friend from junior high. There are actions and words that need to be released from us. And sometimes there's words that we need to receive. 
whether you're a victim of sin or the perpetrator of sin. With our Heavenly Father, He initiates. Like the story of the father of the prodigal son, the father opened up his arms wide to receive his son. And when he opens his arms, there's something, there has to be a response. We have to reciprocate those arms that are open because he waits. If he were to charge ahead, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a, a invitation. It would be an a, attack. But he waits. He opens up his arms. And what were the words that Jesus taught his followers to release? You hear him in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew six twelve. He says, "Forgive us our debts. Forgive me." It's two powerful words to release from your mouth. But it's not just words. Jesus talked about the attitude of our hearts when he told the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, it's in Luke 18. And if you've know, if you got a Bible, you can turn to it. It's going to be up on the screen if it's too dark to see. But in Luke 18, it tells the story. If I can find it in my Bible. I know it's in here. All right. I'm a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the two different attitudes of their hearts. And Jesus said this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector had a sorrow that was from his heart. The scriptures call this a godly sorrow, and it's described in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. And it's described this way. Godly sorrow produces an earnestness of heart, an eagerness to set things right. It produces an indignation at our own wrong wrongdoing. It produces alarm in us, longing, concern, and a readiness to face the consequences of our wrongdoing. What happens when we approach God with this attitude of heart and the words, forgive me, coming from our mouths? then we're really responding to the Father's embrace. We're reciprocating that embrace when we do that. And here's what he does. He says, he says to us, if you confess your sins, I'll be faithful and just and forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. I think sometimes we, we get this mental picture of if I admit my wrongdoing to God, then he's going to do this to me. He's going to stiff arm me. Say, whoa, wait a minute, buddy. You're, you're filthy. Stay away from me. That's, I think that's the picture we get of God, that he stiff arms us, keeps us at a distance. But the truth is, is that he says this. He says, come here. Come here. And as he holds you in the embrace, he says, we'll take care of this. We'll clean this up. Don't worry about that. I love you. I think sometimes we've got to switch some things around in our head. It, Isaiah 118, the, the Lord says, He says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Again, come here. Come, 
Let's reason together. I can take care of this. Don't distance yourself from me because I'm not distancing you. The sad truth, though, for, for many people is that they're never going to admit their wrongdoing to God. They're never going to come with a hard attitude of godly sorrow. And God will never hear those words, forgive me. And that's, that's hard. That's hard. But for some of us sitting here, the sad truth is that you're going to experience what God experiences. There are going to be those who have wronged you and hurt you, and they're never going to come to you with a sorrowful heart. They're never going to say those words, forgive me. But just because they don't want a freedom that's found in forgiveness doesn't mean that you can't still be free. It doesn't mean that the chains of sin can't be broken. And it doesn't mean that we can't still forgive like Christ forgave. Some of you have had the situation that I was once in. Uh, somebody hurt you, but they denied the wrongdoing. They denied it. Uh, they maybe reinterpret the moral significance of their actions and, and, and make it like it had never happened. I had a former employer, and he was a master at spiritual manipulation. And uh, he was always generating his own innocence. And, and that's what I call it. That's what he did. After trying to uh, talk with this employer in a very respectful and, and with a honest, honest words and not, not angry words, I, I was laid off. I wasn't fired. I was laid off. And in my heart, I was really angry about the whole situation. Not, not that I wanted my job back. I was really actually relieved. But, but I was just angry because I'd moved my family halfway across the country. Uh, I took lesser pay for the sake of a great mission. I had been deceived and betrayed about what that mission was uh, of the organization. And after being laid off, I, I just wanted to see this guy's ministry fall apart. I mean, honestly, that, that was what was in my heart. I wanted to see bad things happen to this guy and everything he was involved in. Can, can you believe that in this pastor's heart that I thought those things? It's true. I did. I did. That's what I thought. And I went and I had a friend that I met with every now and then, and, and uh, he was a pastor. And we'd get together and talk. And when I, I shared with him how I felt about this guy and how I knew God wanted me to forgive him, and, and I said the words, and I know that God wants me to love my enemies. My pastor friend said, whoa, wait a minute. We're all on, the, all on the same side here. He's not your enemy. And I was like, okay, technically, you're right. <laughs> I, I realize maybe you're having a problem with me saying this. Um, and, and, you know, but tell that to my heart. Tell that to my heart, because my heart says, this guy wounded me. And, and that's my definition of an enemy, is someone who hurts me or wounds me. I mean, you might have a little different definition, but that's what works for me. It doesn't matter what this guy may call himself, whether he calls him a Christian or a Buddhist or, or a Muslim or whatever. It's, it's, he's hurt me. So this pastor friend was really shocked by my sin and that I would consider someone who is a Christian an enemy. But you know what? Again, I, I couldn't lie about what was in my heart. And so I was trying to be honest with God. And, and God was able to work with what I was admitting to him, even though my pastor friend couldn't handle what I was saying. So how was I supposed to reconcile with this person uh, who had thought they had done no wrong? Well, in our last conversation uh, together, it was obvious that if I said any kind of words 
that indicated like I was going to say forgive me or indicate any kind of wrongdoing, it would come across as an accusation to him and it would just made him even more angry and uh, it would just move him further away from me. So I, I talked to God and I told him about my anger and I gave it to him. You know, really, that's, that's only the best thing that you can do with your anger. You know what happens? You bottle your anger and you know what happens when you bottle things and you shake it up? There's going to be an explosion sometime. The other thing is, the wrong thing that we like to do with our anger is like we vent it on people. Usually we vent it on people we love because we know that they'll still love us after we vent on them, but that's not really a right thing to do either. Uh, really, the only proper thing to do with our anger is to give it to God and to release it to Him. And really, when you read the Psalms, you'll see this over and over and over, especially with David. He was very good at this. He would just vent his anger to God and give it to Him. And so I, I told God, about my anger. I gave it to him. And, and I told God that I really, as, as much as I could really mean from my heart, that I forgave this employer, even though he would never admit, even though what I had lost would never be restored, and even though I had to absorb some of the injustice of it all. But I had to do something that was an outward sign. You know, I'd, I'd said those words to God, but I felt like there had to be something in an outward, visible way. And, and I remember the words of Jesus when he said, bless your enemies. And so I thought, you know, that's, that's exactly the opposite of what I was doing before. I was like, you know, God made bad things happen to this guy and to his ministry. And, and instead it was like, okay, you know, forgiveness from my heart would really mean that I, I would be able to bless this man and bless his ministry. And so I did that. I, I, I got a card. I wrote those kind of blessing type words to him, uh, to his family, his wife, and to his ministry. And, and I put a little gift uh, card in it, go out, take your family out to dinner, that sort of thing. And, and all of a sudden, after I sent that off, I, I could tell there was something different that happened in my heart. When I, I did that physical action, along with my words to God, there was something that, that was released for me. And I was truly able to um, be free. I didn't have to, whenever I think of that guy, I don't have these bad memories that that just plague my mind and I don't have to go work through all, all over again. It's, it's done. The debt is paid. The, the chain has been cut. It's broken. Gone. And that's good. Because it, it's kind of like uh, Joseph uh, the, you know, the, in the Old Testament when he was able to say uh, about his brothers. He said, you know, God has made me forget um, the sins that have been, been done against me. And it made me forget the land of my suffering. And God, God has somehow done that for me too. So um, relationship with that employer was, became peaceable. Peaceable. And uh, when he responded in a positive way to that. And that's, that's a good thing. That's a good report. A positive story. A way that I just want to share with you. Maybe, maybe there's some steps that you can take in the same way. Uh, some maybe... Uh, what are other ways that you can take steps when it's not safe to approach the one that has hurt you? Uh, one, you can do like the girl Carrie that we talked about last week with her father that wounded her over and over and over. She went and, with a friend and just listed all the, the things that were done against her. She spent a day doing this and just sharing it with a friend, talking to God and forgiving each one so that, that when the next time her father wounded her, she just had to forgive him of one thing, not a whole lifetime of things. And... Uh, you, you remember some of the story. Her dad, over a year and a half period of time, Carrie was different. She was free. And when she responded to her dad, she responded to him differently. And he noticed the difference and things happened. And a year and a half later, in front of all his doctor friends, 
He said, Carrie, would you forgive me for the things that I've said and done to you? And an amazing reconciliation happened there. Sometimes we can do those kind of steps too. You can make those kind of lists and say, God, I forgive this person. It may be a list that is 70 times 7 long. It may be. But remember the power of forgiveness. Remember how it can change you. Remember how it can change the people, other people. Another step maybe just you know, to bless a person that has wanted, wounded you. It might be in the form of writing a letter or a card or a note or a gift. But here's the other question I know that many people struggle with in, in the matter of forgiveness. How, how does a person find freedom in forgiveness when the person who wounded them is dead? Or they can't be contacted? Or you don't even know who they are? Much of what I just shared still applies. You could still write a letter to the person and offer up to God. I know for me, I wrestled with what to do in this situation. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I was... Uh, um, a homosexual neighbor sexually abused me as a child, um, and it was the older brother of a, a school friend. And um, I was frightened. I was scared. I didn't tell anybody. That's the wrong thing to do. Kids, parents, anybody, you, you tell somebody. But anyway, just I, I had all those questions of why me? Why was I picked up? All these other people. I questioned my identity. Um, I started carrying a knife to school because I was, you know, I'm not going to let this happen to me again. And uh, a lot of things in my life happened and changed. I had a mistrust of nearly anybody around me. And, uh, and, I, and I, I didn't walk to school with my friend anymore without any explanation. I just, I just stopped. And he was scratching his head going, what in the world? And he thought it was some sort of racial thing because I was white and he was a different race. And, and so he was angry at me. And just all those things that happened from this situation and uh, my family lived in a rental house, and we moved, and we never went back. And I don't even know the name of the guy um, who abused me. I, I, I don't know the name. Of, I knew my best friend, his first name. I don't know. I don't remember his last name. Um, but when I became uh, a Christ follower at the age of 14, uh, there were some things that God did in me to experience the depth of his forgiveness. And I, I knew that God wanted me to forgive like he forgave. And so I told God that I forgave this guy that had wounded me. And as I grew older and I realized some of the depth of some of the wounds to me, there were other layers that I had to, man, because of what that, did, what that guy did to me, I, I think this way or I do things this way. And, and if that wouldn't happen, I wouldn't react this way. And, and so there were layers, you know, that sometimes I'd say, God, I forgive again. I forgive. And, uh, you know, there are many times, you know, I've imagined meeting this person and how I would respond. Going into ministry, I had an opportunity to meet people who had uh, sexually sinned against other people. And so these people would come to me and they'd be confessing. So God gave me an opportunity to kind of, as that person kind of standing in the place of the man who abused me, to say, I forgive you. And I know that's an opportunity that maybe not everybody gets. But there were times where that helped my heart move forward. But I encourage you and people that are in this situation, I encourage you to pour out your heart to God, to write a letter, write a letter to that perpetrator and give it to God. There are times, though, like Esau and Jacob where, or Joseph and his brothers, you'll get a chance to meet face-to-face -face for an opportunity to reconcile with those who have sinned or, or wounded you. And there are words that many times we long to receive and long to release. 
And I know that, uh, that we want to hear those words. We want to hear somebody say, I, I did wrong to you. For those of us who are the perpetrators, forgiveness can't be demanded. I want to let you know that forgiveness is asked for and it's granted. Some of the words perpetrators need to be ready to release are words like, I blew it. I hurt you. I was wrong. I am sorry I did this and that. And please forgive me. And after those words are spoken, we're in a vulnerable moment of waiting. And that's what we especially need to do. We need to wait. It may take some time for someone to respond to your request for forgiveness. It may not be granted on the spot. It may be hours. It may be days. It even may be weeks before someone responds to your plea for forgiveness. To that, um, or vice versa. It would be, for those of us who are on the other side who are the victims, there are words we can release too. It would be things like firmly identifying the wrong done and explaining how that affected you and then waiting. Sometimes the perpetrators are clueless. They don't even know that they've done something wrong. Or other times when they are confronted with the consequences of their sin, realizing the damage that they've inflicted on you, they need time to process, time to allow the conviction of their heart. I want to give you hope that God can bring freedom through forgiveness in these kind of situations too. I, I just want my wife just to come up here and briefly share just two stories, two instances, where she got to meet face-to-face with someone. And again, wonderful, beautiful stories. Um, as Shannon shared, we had a very similar past when I was, um, and I shared this, I believe, when I spoke about in October, but many of you weren't here then. But and when I was 12 years old, I was sexually abused by a neighbor boy who also went to our church. And I was a, a pastor's kid, and this incident kind of birthed a great deal of pain into my journey, as anybody who has been sexually abused will be able to testify. A lot of choices then began in a cycle after that. As I got into high school, I never dealt with the pain of the abuse, never told anybody that it had happened, and so it festered in my heart, and the sin against me all of a sudden started becoming my own sin as I entered into dating relationships. All through high school, I was very sexually sinful in that high school period of my life. I'm still a preacher's kid, still going to church every Sunday. Nobody knows what was going on inside my heart. Um, Long story, very short. Years later, when I was 19 years old, after I had really fully devoted my life to Jesus and had begun a ministry, I was traveling across the country. I happened to be speaking at a church where the young man who had abused me as a child was sitting in the audience. And um, I had an opportunity after I pretty honestly shared my story where I was able to walk up to him and I didn't know what to say, but I just very quickly said, what happened between us was really wrong. And he put his head down and said, I know. And I said, I'm talking about it a lot. He said, go for it. And that was the end of it. There was no forgive me word spoken, but in my heart I felt completely released and I felt like he was blessing the journey of where God had led me. Um, Then many years, just... um, The wound then from my high school experiences was probably actually a deeper wound than the abuse wound because it came in the form of someone who said, I love you, and yet they treated me horribly and took things from me without asking. And that wound was um, one that the Lord had to really do a work in me. Just last October, um, the Lord gave me an encounter with the young man who had wounded me through high school very profoundly. In fact, I've written a whole 
a book about it called A Rose for Beloved. But we had a chance encounter. Let me tell you about these, this moment. Shannon and I, we've been married for 17 years. We've got four children. This young man has gone on. He's in ministry in another city. He's got a beautiful wife and beautiful children. So 20 years have passed. But I can tell you, as we were talking about the chain last week, that in that midst of that 20 years, any time our path would cross, I felt the chain that was still there. The words, forgive me, had never been spoken. We had just kind of gone on with our life, and it had an appearance that everything was taken care of. But when we were in the same room, I still felt that bond that was between us. And he, uh, last October, just, we had an encounter, and for some reason, it had to have been God. He just said, I don't know if I've ever said words to you that to say forgive me and I can tell you I mean I'm 37 years old at this point 20 years have passed but tears just start pouring down my face those words were so powerful and I said no you never have said those words and he said well I'm saying them now will you please forgive me and what a gift to be able to say yes I do forgive you and not only do I forgive you I bless you and I know what God has done in you and I affirm the new creation you are not that man anymore and he shared how he struggles to get up in front of, he's a pastor, and he struggles sometimes, and the enemy condemns him. You know what you did to somebody. You know how badly you hurt him. And I was able to pray for him that the enemy would silence those words and that he would truly receive the forgiveness of Christ. And it was an incredible, incredible experience. And uh, I guess that's what we want to share with you today, that, that forgiveness is just not something that's, it's not just a beautiful idea. It's something that Christ asks us to do. And I know that it's not always easy, that sometimes it's difficult. Peter asked, how many times should I forgive? And the truth is, is that when we look at our own lives, Jesus is continually forgiving us, isn't he? I know in my life he is. And so if he's continually forgiving me, I guess in the same way I should continually forgive also. Um, but I want you to know again, your hearts need to be in a place where you can forgive from your heart. So this isn't something that we're saying, now go do this right this second, this instant. You know, this is something that is a journey for you between you and God. But I want you to know that in being Christ followers, again, this isn't just a pretty idea that we talk about. Really, it's, it's a mark of a Christ follower. Forgiveness. It's an identifying mark. And if we can learn to forgive one another as Christ forgave, it makes a huge difference in our relationships. It makes a huge difference within the church. It makes a huge difference outside the walls of a church. And I tell you what, um, there is a, a world that is needing forgiveness and longing for it and seeking it. And, uh, and I, I know that as, as the church, there's some times when we need to say to people outside the church, please forgive us for the things that we've said and things that we've done. I know that I've become very practiced at that. When I used to run a coffee house, I think one of the biggest conversations I had was talking with people who had been wounded by the church. And I got really good at saying, forgive me. Forgive the church. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you went through that. That's, that's not the way Jesus is. That's not the way he responds. So, but I want to, you to remind you today as you leave today, that God's forgiveness, he's willing to forgive. He's great. He's the, he's the father. He's the extravagant father with his arms open wide. And this is said of God 
and he, what he says of himself in Exodus. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He is a God who longs to forgive. And I hope that you'll know that and remember that. All right now, I just, I'm just going to close in prayer, and we're going to dismiss. I want to thank you guys for being here today. And I, I pray that God will continue to work. Next Sunday is going to be a special Sunday as we kind of conclude talking about forgiveness. And I hope you won't miss it. Heavenly Father, just want to say thank you for the depth of your grace, which uh, an undeserved gift. Lord, I thank you for your mercy, which is punishment withheld. What we deserve to be punished for the things that we've done wrong. But Lord, you withhold that and show mercy instead of punishment. Lord, together with your mercy and grace, they are powerful, Lord, in our lives. And Father, just as you forgive through your Son, Jesus Christ, we want to be able to do that too from our hearts. Lord, some of us are not in the place to be able to do that. Lord, we ask that you would enlarge our hearts. Give us the capacity to forgive. Lord, enable us to love as you have loved. You said it was the greatest thing that we could do, is to love you and to love people. Lord, bless these people as they go. Pray you protect them. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a good afternoon. Bye now.